Well, welcome all of you here uh, on this Sabbath day uh, in the physical worship. And I also want to extend the same welcome to those that are worshipping with us uh, virtually, looking at us in the live streaming. Many a times when I sit, when I'm not on duty or sitting down like all of you in church, while you're looking at the speaker, while you are listening to the message, my mind wanders away. Wanders away to many things. Queries in your mind, worry about things that is coming up, certain meetings that's coming up, certain challenges that you have. Worries. Worries are things that actually is uh, prevalent to, I think, every one of us, I'm sure. And uh, today, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. There's a story that goes that this Reverend Trench, and uh, he is actually the Protestant Archbishop of Dublin, and he has this morbid worry about getting paralyzed. So one day in the uh, feast, he was uh, you know, sitting there enjoying the food, and the woman next to him hear him mumbling. At last, finally it has happened. I cannot feel anything on my left limb. So this woman was like, what is he talking about? Then he went to this uh, archbishop and said, My grace, if it may comfort you, actually, it's my leg that you're pinching. So this worry literally drives him that he was just, don't know what he's doing. Worry. By the way, do I have a clicker that I can... Thank you. I don't know whether how you agree with this chart. It says here that 40% of things we worry about never happen. 30% have already happened. And 12 are needless worries about health. 10% petty, messianless issues. And in 8% are real worries. And what is worse than in this 8%, half of it, there's nothing you can do. And maybe the other half you can. So out of the 100, do a calculation. Uh, if this chart is true, 4% are things that you truly can worry about. So what is worry? You know, things that we, we are doing it and we are concerned with but what actually is it? There's a definition that says that worry is just a strong feeling of anxiety. Strong feeling. And uh, the dictionary said it's a troubled state of mind resulting from concern about current or potential difficulties. So that's what worry about. But I like, I like the old English definition. It says to strangle. No, it's derived from the, the illustration where the wolves, how they actually uh, attack their prey. They literally go around their neck, choke them to death. So that's worry. Worry is like strangling a person or uh, uh, yourself or anything or prey until you are choked to death. Sounds familiar? Does worry does that to you? That you are literally choked to death? You know, choking to death is one thing, but realizing that all the worrying that 
we are doing is futile. Sometimes it's, it leads to nowhere. Let me give you a quote that says this. Worrying does not take away tomorrow's trouble. You know, many times you know, when you worry, you're worrying about trouble. It does not take away tomorrow's trouble. And what is worse that it takes away today's peace. Let's worry. And another quote. Maybe some of you have heard of this before. Worrying is like a rocking chair. You sit on it. Oh man, I'm moving. I'm rocking. I'm just uh, shaking around. And for one hour, if you sit on that chair, did you move an inch? Did you move anywhere? No. That's what worrying does. It keeps you moving, but it takes you nowhere. So it's futile. Worrying just does not solve the problem. I want to uh, share with you a, a story to bring home this point. For many years, this woman, he has been she has trouble getting to sleep every night because she was worried about burglars. She just cannot sleep because of that and she, for many nights, just don't have a good sleep. One night, her husband actually heard something downstairs. So she went down, he went down, and sure enough, he saw a burglar. You know what he did? Hey, I'm so pleased to meet you. Would you like to go upstairs and meet my wife who has been waiting for you for the past 10 years? For the past 10 years, this poor woman has been just worrying about burglars and burglars and suffered futile for the past 10 years. All because of worry. Like a rocking chair, keeps you moving but takes you nowhere. And worse is that it robs the peace that she should have. But no. So yes, it's real. I think we all have it. But what does the Bible have to say about worry? Is there any antidote? Is there anything that the Bible can advise us that can help us worry? But before we get there, let me have two principles so that at least set a set of foundation and establishment what we should do. Whenever we worry, we worry about problems, about troubles. The Bible never, never say that our life here on this world will have no trouble. In fact, it says in Job 14.1, Man or woman who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. Yeah, it's here to stay. You can't avoid it. Next one, in uh, John 16.33, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, troubles. It's there to stay. So I think let's have this, this establishment that, yep, God did not say that there will be no troubles and as a result, no worries. In fact, it will be there in this sinful world. That's number one. Number two, the Bible in its always assuring way said to us that yes, even though the world is full of trouble, you will face it, you'll be worrying, but I'm there with you. A very famous text, it says, fear not, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, don't be hopeless. I am your God. What will He do? He will strengthen you. He will help you. He will hold your right hand and carry you through. 
Many a times we always say, okay, Lord, why don't you just remove the trouble from me? No, many times if you read in the Bible, there are always words like this. I will strengthen you through this. I will help you through this. In fact, many a times in a wonderful picture, you will see that I will carry you through this. You see, one footprint is not yours. It's the Lord's Saviour carrying you. That is the assurance we need to have when dealing with worries. Yes, it is there to stay, but at the same time, the Lord is going to be there to see us through. Second principle, Christian. As Christian, as believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, should we worry? Should we be worrying? Are there not texts and promises that assure us that we shouldn't be? First of all, here it is. God knows what you have faced, are facing, and will face. Because in Proverbs 15, it says, the eyes of the Lord are in only certain places. Did it say that? No, it's in every place, keeping watch on the good and the evil. Every place where you go, God knows. God knows. First thing. Second thing, why should Christians not worry? Because God cares about you. He asks you to cast all your cares on Him and He will take care of you. That's why He assures us everything, the all, A-L-L, is everything. Cast it to Him and He will care for you. Thirdly, why Christians should not have to worry because God has promised that He will take care of us. He will supply everything that you need in order to go through those troubles. So with that, let's have the assurance that uh, God will take care of us. Then comes to our key text. The key text that say that He will give us peace. Allow me to ask the congregation to read with me. The key text. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is our key text. So let's digest this one at a time, because it will help us to know when we have worry, and this text say, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't Think about things that will trouble you. Don't do that. But why? What does it say? So first one, it says, don't be anxious about anything. What does it mean? Don't cross a bridge before you get to it. Don't make a time of trouble before it comes. You know that many times in our life we do that. Let me give you an example. This happened probably just maybe a few months ago. Um, when Cynthia and I came back from US, uh, when we dig out our old stuff, and uh, we have this microwave from 10 years ago when we left. Lo and behold, it works. We are so happy it works. Okay, good. Let's use it. And we have been using it for quite a number of years. And then one day, it suddenly quit on us, gave up the ghost. So, of course, it inconvenienced us that ah, there's things that we need to do and we can't do. So after a while, we just, okay, find time to go and get a new microwave. Yes, the new microwave should give us no problem. It should be fine. All right, so there's, it's still fresh in our mind, all the inconveniences because the microwave just died. So now we are, have a new one. We should be fine. For one week, it was fine. One day, 
this new microwave quit on us. Literally, in the rush hour of the morning, people, I'm sure all of you know what is rush hour like when you have kids, when you're young ones. <sighs> what's in my head? You know what's in my head? I think you can relate to me. What's in my head is, what happened? Now I can't do this, I can't do that. I have a tough two weeks ahead of me. Where am I going to find time to send it out? Oops, did I actually send off the warranty card or the register? Did I do that? Oh, number two is that, oh no, I need to call a hotline. You know what it's a hotline for? Yeah, I mean, you wait, wait and wait and no answer. That's what a hotline is. That's all in my head. All worrying about what can I do when this microwave fails on me. And I did that for a few hours. A few hours. Then my wife noticed something. Hey, hey, the, other, the light's not working. Hey, the toaster is not working. <laughs> there was a circuit breaker, the trip. That's it. And I wasted my few hours worrying. Don't cross the bridge before you get there. Don't make a time of trouble before it comes. That's what we do. I think I'm human. I think all of you will do the same thing too. We tend to worry. We tend to do all this habitually or automatically. I think that's where the problem is. We rely on ourselves. That is the worry. So it says, don't worry about anything. But, oh, I like the B-U-T. The B-U-T is a contrast. The first line, this is what you don't do. The bottom is what you do. There's a but. There's a contrast. Let's, so let's dig into it. But, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer. Okay, let's pause there. Prayer. That is the first antidote for anxiety, by prayer. Do we pray? Do we pray to our friend? I, I'm not asking a stupid question. I'm asking a, a prompting question. Do I pray to Daniel? Do I pray to Siva? No. They are my peers. Prayer always connotes that you pray to someone higher than you. I talk to Daniel. I talk to Gracious. We are friends. But prayer is a recognizing or acknowledgement that is someone higher than us. That's prayer. It's like a weak child asking attention from a powerful parent. That's prayer, right? So, but the fact that we say pray is that we're not praying to a human. We're not praying to a peer. We're praying to someone much more powerful than us. Now, what does prayer do? If worry is like a mole, you know, the worry mole that sucks the life out of you, strangle you, sucks the life out of you, prayer is the one that injects the life back to you because it says here, oh, sorry, it says here, prayer is a necessity. It is the life of the soul. Family prayer, public prayer, anything. It is the secret communion with God that sustains the soul of life. That is prayer. If worry sucks the life out of you, prayer will inject the life back to you. Second, if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Yeah, because that's, we, we, we don't have the life, we don't have the power, we don't have the source that, we can, that can sustain us. We are in trouble. Okay, 
third illustration. Uh, I come to Aztec Church many times, and um, sometimes uh, when the crowd is bigger, I literally have to park along the slope. So I know there are drivers here. There are people that uh, drive a car. Let me ask a question. Drivers, those with a car, how many of you know where your spare tire to the car is? Oi! <laughs> I don't see a hand. <laughs> You're too shy to put up your hand. Do you know where your spare tire to a car is? I thought I know. Okay? Literally, I thought I know. Until last month, you know, when the uh, easing of the restriction and the opening of the borders, uh, the travel each come to you. So my wife and I and, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, our in-laws, we say, okay, let's drive to Malaysia, a short one. Okay, so, so that's what we plan. And then being a Kiasu Singaporean, okay, we say, okay, let's check everything. It's an old car after all. Let's check that uh, the spare tire is there, there's air, and uh, we send the car for servicing. We're all ready. Then I went to the behind the car. The spare tire should be there. Open the trunk. Oops, not there. Under the trunk, oops, not there. Where's my spare tire? I literally spent almost 10 minutes looking for my spare tire. Then I found it, oh, at the side of the car. I have no idea where's my spare tire. And what is worse is when I found it, I do not know how to lower it down because different car is different. Sometimes it's a latch that you can just easily do. My mine actually has a boat that I need to go up to the seat and then remove the seat and do it. Yeah. So there's a spare tire. A question to you is, not only just to the drivers, but to everyone. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tyre? Your spare tyre is out of sight, out of mind. Don't even think about it. Don't even know when and where it is. Never use it. The steering wheel, right at your face, right in front of you. Have to use it. Without a steering wheel, you go nowhere. Without a steering wheel, you cannot drive. Without a steering wheel, you literally just cannot move. So what is the prayer to you? Steering wheel or spare tire? Could it be that we are just so bought down that we let the mole of worry rot us because we did not have prayer as our steering wheel? So what is it to you? It says here that when we get our eyes off troubles and focus through prayer to the face of the Heavenly Father, when, then as He grows larger, our problems grow smaller. That's what it's supposed to do. Prayer connects you to the power. When you know who God is, what is all these problems? What is there to worry about? Because God will fix it. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the problem solver. God. Prayer is the one that will help us do it. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. First antidote. Second antidote, and supplication or petition. What is that? What is supplication? What is petition? You know, many a times, are we really serious about what we pray? Let me look into your eyes and ask all of you seriously. You serious? Many a times we pray in the morning, then we get up, run to work, and we forgot what we pray. And worse is we actually did something opposite to what we pray for. Yeah. Are we serious about what we are asking God to do for us? Are we, with our heart, mean it? Supplication refers to an earnest sharing of your burdens, your needs, and your problem. 
It's not a flippant prayer, but prayer that arises from the heart, a passion that really, God, I need you, help me. And it's many times said in the Bible that when we pray, we need to pray like this. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. Fervent. Fervent prayer. That's James 5.16. Second one is perseverance in prayer has been made a condition of receiving. This is found in uh, Steps to Christ. Perseverance in prayer is a condition for receiving. Could it be that when we don't receive what we pray because we are not serious, we're not persevering enough, we're not prevailing enough, we're not putting our heart to eat with God. Perseverance in prayer has made a condition of receiving. So yes. And next one. Unceasing prayer is the unbroken union of the soul with God. So that, there's this connection now, life from God flows to our life and our life of purity and holiness flow back to God. There's the trunking that connects us now through prayer, unceasing prayer. This is what we need. If we are not praying, that's why we are worrying because we have no connection. We are seeing that we are solving the problem by ourselves and God is ever willing to strengthen us and help us through. That is the problem. Our prayers are to be earnest and persistent. God does not say, one time, just ask, I'll answer you. Nope. God say that, ask once, no, sorry, you will receive. He bid us ask unwearingly and persist in prayer. The persistent, why, why did God want us to do that? Because the persistent asking brings us, the petitioner, into a more earnest attitude and gives us an increased desire to receive the things. Because we are really, really serious about it. Lord, help us, save us, do this for us, help us with this or that. And if we are persistent, this is what happened. Prayer. Be careful, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer, by persistent, by thanksgiving. The third antidote. Thanksgiving. Do we thank God enough? It's interesting that many times during our church, we eat a prayer meeting or be other thing. We tend to say, you have any prayer requests? And then we just say, okay, all we want is prayer requests, pray, go. We seldom think about thanking God. Seldom think about what has God done in our life. Let's have thanksgiving to... to and, and seriously, if you were to be honest to yourself, if you sit down and ask for one after a whole day, what can I thank God for? Because it's not habitual, I think you have to think and stress for a long time before you can come out with something, right? Yeah, but God is trying to tell us, hey, we need to pray, we need to persevere, we need to be thanking Him. Thanking God is so important. It's not only say in Philippians, but also in other places in Ephesians. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Speak and make music from your heart. Always giving thanks to God. Don't forget to give thanks. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything, give thanks. 
Yes, my friends, we are very, very bad in giving thanks. What's happening to us? I'll tell you a story. Story is about a man who was drafted to go to war. And the wife, of course, was distressed. When you go to war, it means that your life is at stake. You may not see this, your husband anymore. So she was so concerned. And uh, as he left, he actually assured the wife, I'm going to miss you terribly. So the wife was comforted. So the wife promised him, I will send you a letter every day. Okay, I'll send you and hope you'll do the same to me. So she literally sent uh, sent him a letter every day and then was waiting day one for the mail to come from the husband. Nothing. Day two, nothing. Day three, day four, day five. Week one, week two, week three, week four. Only at week six, finally, wow, the wife is so happy. She received a letter from her husband. Open up the letter. Four words. Four words from the husband after six weeks. Thank you for your food. That was all the husband says. I don't know what happened. Either in the war or whatever. Thank you for the food. How would you feel as wife who has been doing so much for the husband and writing, pour your heart to him, writing to the husband and uh, the husband after six weeks say, thank you for the food. We may laugh at this husband, but how about us? Do we do that to God? Do we do that to God? Many a times, right in front of us, potluck, whatever, thank you for the food, and off we go. We forgot totally about God. We forgot totally about how He has helped us, blessed us. So sometimes, we lack thankfulness. Which is why Paul says, the antidote for worry is to remember God has done a lot of things for us. Is to remember He has a power to deliver us. Is to remember that our problem is nothing to God. Which is why the antidote is pray, pray, persevere, and thank Him. Thank Him. The thanking Him will remind us that, God, You have done so much for me. What else will You not do for me? Literally, what else will You not do for me? That's why we need to thank God. Then come. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Request. Why did God want us to request? Why do I need... You notice that many a times, when you ask for something you are more serious about it. You, you really mean it. If you don't need anything, why would you ask? No, when the asking is basically saying that I, I really need it. I need you. I need your help. So the asking, and interestingly in the Bible, God always wants us to so-called initiate. It says here, Jeremiah 33.3, Call to me, I will answer you. Call to me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. In Matthew, you read, Ask, you shall receive. Knock, and open. So God, we need us to know for ourselves why we need, why we request, why we plead. That's when He can really help us. He doesn't want to force it down our throat. He wants us to ask. Hebrews 4.16 Come to the throne of grace. We need to do that first part. Come to the throne of grace. And you will obtain. Many a times it's 
you do your part, I will definitely do my part. That's the assurance God will give to us. Now, I want to emphasize a few things about the request. Many a time we thought, okay, you want me to ask? I ask. And we expect my terms, my timing, my way, my expectation. So now I want to have a measured expectation so we know what's going on. It says here, to every sincere prayer, an answer will come. Good, an answer will come. But it may not come just the way you want it, you desire it, or at a time that you're looking for it. But it will come in a way, in a time that will best meet our need. What a wonderful Saviour. He knows us much better. Many a times we want it this way, this timing. But God knows better. He knows when to help us. He knows when to answer it. And He knows how to answer it. So, God will come in a way, I mean, the answer will come in a way and a time that will best meet your need. So, these texts basically tell me something. There are three answers, three types of answer from God. Yes, no, wait. God can actually, wait is also an answer, isn't it fair? Wait is also an answer because God knows when to give it to you. Many a times say, I want it now, I want it now. You know, our culture is really, I want it now, I want it now. That's bad. But God's way is so different. He knows what is best that we fear it most, need it most. So let's have this measured expectation that when we request, God will answer, but best meet your need. Second, the prayer you offer in loneliness in weariness, in trial, God will answer, but not according to your expectation, but always for your good. The delay is meant to be for your good. The way that is done differently is meant to be for your good. You want A, God can give you Z, because Z is better for you. Trust Him. Trust Him. That is what God is saying. Call, He will answer. Knock, He will open, but He will do it for our good at the best timing. So let's trust what the Lord will give to us. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. So these are the antidote. And what will the outcome be? Peace. Peace. What is peace? The peace that surpasses human understanding. The peace that sometimes we don't even know what it is. Peace. John 14, 27. Peace I give unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, giveth unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That is the peace. Sometimes this peace is really not understood by us, but only God can understand. Look at Job. What peace does he have when he sees the wife's gone, children's gone, Property all gone. And suddenly he began to feel, oop, things are coming out from my hand, on my leg, on my body, the boils. Can you still have peace at this moment when the, everything of your life is gone and now, now it's inflicted on your body and you can't even sit, you can't even lie down, you can't even eat. And yet, Job has the peace. It's a peace that human cannot understand. Only God can give to Job. 
And Job was still able to praise God. They have peace. A peace that the world don't understand. Look at Daniel. Daniel, all he did was, he opened the window, prayed to God towards Jerusalem. Then he was handcuffed, brought into the prison, thrown into the lion's den. Can Daniel have peace? Seated in the den are hungry lions. I think most of us when we see a, a, a cockroach or a lizard, we just, but now in front of you are hungry lions. Can you have peace? But that was Daniel. He was able to have peace because to him, God is next to him. There's no need to be afraid. That was Daniel. Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Mishan, and Abednego. What did he do? What did they do? Can you picture with me? You're standing in front of a huge plane. No, it's a, a, a much, much bigger than Parade Square or whatever square. Huge plane, okay? Where there's countless people there and then one huge image made of pure gold. And then when the music starts, the music starts, Every one of those people that you can't even see so far, so big, so many of them, all bow down. And then would you stand up and stand strong and still have peace? But this was what exactly the three Hebrew boys did. There was just peace and assurance that they have a God that is standing there beside them. Besides them. That they are even willing, when this is all repeated and the king Nebuchadnezzar asked a tree back, okay, I'm going to play the music one more time, okay, and I'm going to ask you whether you're going to kneel down. And the answer of peace to the king is, even if my God don't save me, I will not bow down to the image. That was the strong peace in their heart. And when they are thrown into the furnace, they know that someone is there with them. Friends, do you want to have such peace that whatever worry, be it the microwave, be it the tires, be it anything that's bothering you in your life, the finance, the marital problem, the family, your children, anything, would you want to have this peace? If you want, then the answer will be the antidote of seeking God in prayer, persevering in prayer, and thanksgiving and request and plead with God. Look at this picture. I love this picture. I've been always keeping it. This picture shows what? You see, right in the middle, man, is that it, it, right in the middle is a man, someone there. He has so much peace. I'm sure while he's standing there, he can feel the wind of those gushing, ferocious waves and the wind that's blowing on him. I'm sure he can hear the wind howling. I'm sure he gets wet. I'm sure all these fears come to him. But to him... I have that strong God tower that there's no fear in him. He just has peace. Even though the waves are raging crazily at him, that is the peace that the world cannot understand. And that is the peace that only God can offer us. Do you want to have this peace? A peace that is beyond understanding. I want to end with a story. Years ago, in the pioneer days of aviation, a pilot was making his way, trying to go around the world. Okay, at that time, was, uh, you know, it was still the earlier days of uh, aviation, and then doing so would be quite tedious. But this pilot was brave. He wanted to go around the world. So as he was flying two hours from where he first took off, he hears something. 
oops, something, some gnawing of the, of the cables. He was so concerned and so anxious. What on earth is happening? I'm up in the air in the airplane and there's this sound. So a rat must have gone up to the plane while, while he was uh, landed a few hours ago. Okay. So he was so concerned. Will this rat bite, eat, whatever, some of the important cables to the equipments and everything that he can't control the plane anymore? He was very worried. Behind him was that two hours ago, can I turn back? Will I even have the time to turn back? Ahead of him, the next base is maybe about three, four hours. What should I do? What should you do? That was what he was so worried. And especially his life is at stake because the plane will crash if the rat continued to bite on the table, cables. So he decided to do something in faith. He moved forward. He flew. And he realized that the, road, the, the rat is a rodent, it's a ground animal. In fact, they even sometimes live underground. So he went higher up, 1,000 feet. Still there. Went higher up, 2,000 feet. Still sound is there. And he keep going up, drawing himself closer and closer to heaven until when he hit 20,000 feet, he stopped. He stopped. And he was so happy. He went down three hours, four hours later and touched down. And indeed, the rat died. Are there moles, worry moles in your life? Are there worry rat in your life? But realize that these most or red of worry cannot live in the secret place of the Most High. It cannot breathe in an atmosphere that is steep in prayer, in perseverance, in thanksgiving, because it is just not their atmosphere to live in. Those atmosphere is when God's presence is there. It's when God's power is manifested. So can we, in our life, like this pilot, will draw ourselves closer and closer to the Lord and realize that when we are there, worries dies. When we are there in that atmosphere, steep in the influence of the prayer of God and the Word of God, worries perish. If we want to have peace, let's remember that's the only safe place we have. So when peace thrives, worry dies. I want to summarize in these few points so that we know what is the antidote before I close. Pray. Pray like you never prayed before. And prevail and persevere in prayer. And then plead to God like you are pleading to a, a weak child, to a powerful father. Pray. Prevail. Plead. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will be yours. Because... He has promised He will deliver. Thank you. May I invite the congregation to join us in our closing song?
Shall we pray? Thank you, O God, for reminding us that troubles are here to stay. But thank you, too, for assuring us that when trouble comes our way, you will be there to carry us through. And most of all, Lord, we will be able to enjoy the peace, the peace that comes only from you because you are going to assure us that your presence, your power, your strength will always be there for us. So Lord, let our soul be well because this peace that comes from you will always be there waiting for us as we pray and plead with you to receive it from you. So bless this congregation as we depart from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.